So, coming to the end of our first day of meditation and contemplation together on this retreat. Um, I expect there's been many different experiences that each one of us has had. For myself, it's felt like a very uh, lovely opportunity to stop. It's been very hectic, a very hectic few weeks, and I just in the stopping, realizing how tired I am (laughs) and how nice it is just to not have to do anything very much, but just allow one's energies to gather in the stopping and to feel, be with the body in a gentle and kind way and to attend to the uh, feeling tones in the heart and the mental Storylines to just bring attention to one's experience just feels like a, a very lovely thing to do and a very simple thing to do. And um, I think that's the the beauty of being able to take time out to retreat from our everyday life is to just reconnect with an innate sense of possibility of well-being from just simply being, from letting go of activity, from putting aside concerns and just reconnecting with the present moment experience, with the breath, with taking steps, walking, with appreciating the food, appreciating the elements, appreciating wholesome companionship. (coughs) So for me it's felt like a, a very good day. And I've appreciated the sense of people practicing together because it's hard to do it on one's own sometimes. There's something about a collective holding that can happen when there's a large group or a group of people that just stop together and uh, can be very supportive. And the way that the Buddha articulated this way of awakening, he did it in a very simple way. He talked about that the whole of his teaching was to do with the movement from the state of dukkha to the state of non-dukkha. And uh, dukkha meaning that experience of the unsatisfactory or the experience of struggle, constriction, suffering, fear, reactivity, the, the usual everyday human experience really, how we can sometimes experience ourselves in a constricted, agitated, fearful way, the movement from that, or even subtly the sense of dis-ease, a lack of easefulness, a lack of peacefulness, a lack of ability to really Uh, rest in our beingness, the movement from that to the state of non-dukkha, from the state to the state of being able to realize a heart that's already peaceful, timeless abiding, liberated heart. In a way, this was the main concern and the main focus of the, the Buddha's dispensation to realize that in a lifetime there's the possibility of this movement 
that we can use our life experience for this awakening from the state of, of ignorance, not really understanding the true nature of reality, into a state of awakeness, freedom, liberation, peacefulness, appreciation. And in some ways it sounds like one movement that we make during a lifetime, but in, in, in reality it's a, it's a movement that we can make in each moment. There's a phrase in Pali, Maga Hatakilesawa, which is very helpful to reflect upon. Maga means path, Hata means to break up, Kilesa means that which obstructs, that which obstructs the heart's capacity for its own wellness, its own luminosity. It's the, the application of path, this movement really is the application of path that begins to break up that which obstructs our ability to be free. And in many ways that sounds like something we have to do. (laughs) Doing the path, some effort that needs to be made, some application that needs to be made. So I'd just like to reflect a little bit in opening this talk on how we pick up that sense of us doing something or the sense of application or the the idea of a path. Because there is implied in this this teaching that the Buddha gave from the state of dukkha to non-dukkha that there is an activity involved, this path activity. And it sounds very much like a movement from one place to another, movement from one state to a movement to realization. But the accompanying line with this this line, Maga Hatikilesawa, which is Patu Upati Tamatang, which illustrates the way of picking up this path, which I like very much. Pati means fruit, or the, the fruit which is the non-suffering, or the realization of the unshakable heart peaceful heart, the timeless heart, the fruit of this path. Upati means to arise, Tammatang means Tamma means according to Dharma, according to lawfulness, according to its own nature. So there's something about the relationship of path activity and an unfolding according to a deeper lawfulness or, or according to its own nature. And while we can apply moments of path activity, which isn't really about, it is a movement from A to B, but it really is about a movement more deeply into this present moment. We can apply that which supports that awakening and that opening more deeply into the unobstructed free heart. The fruit of that realization is something that We can't do, we can't force, we can't actually create by an act of will. There's something that unfolds according to its own nature. And I find that that helpful to reflect on because it implies, yes, there is something that implies a sense of doing, but there is an unfolding that is beyond our effort or beyond our will or beyond our capacity to create. It's a mysterious, if you like, unfolding, the fruit, the taste, the taste of the heart's own liberation.
So reflecting on that, it helps us to adjust maybe our relationship to the activity of meditation, which is the heart of path activity or the activity of mindfulness, which is really the heart of the meditative process, the activity of moments of attention. So it's not so much I'm, the sense of I'm doing the path or I have to bring about the fruit, but it's really more the perspective of applying moments of path activity, moments of attentiveness, moments of awakeness, and allowing the fruit to unfold according to its own nature. And if we have that relationship, that attitude, then it helps us to pick up the activity of meditation perhaps with more lightly, more spaciously, more with a sense of mystery. Generally speaking, this idea of path is talked about in in three aspects. Sila, samadhi, panya. Sila meaning the activity of integrated, careful living, living that's uh, aware of the effects that we have, taking responsibility for what we put into motion, the karma that we put into motion in our lives, what we say, how we act, how we make our living, what we do, the intention, really it's about intentionality of the mind, the power of the intention of mind, recognizing that we have power, even though sometimes we feel very powerless, the mind has, the the mind's capacity to create is very powerful. And the intention behind our creativity, our action, our speech, is that which creates effects. And so see there is this really this foundation of, of path. And even more profoundly, it's about um, creating, I feel that Sila, this reflection on how we live according to a sense of cause and effect, what we put into motion has an effect, both individually, collectively, globally. The reflection on that is if the more attentive we are, the more careful, the more non-harming we are in terms of what we put into motion, the effect that we generate is something that can be trusted. We can begin to trust and relax into trusting our capacity for, for an activity that's wholesome. So this sila is guided by what we might loosely call conscience, in Western terms, in the Buddhist terms, called Hiri Otapa, two faculties or two guardians of the heart or the mind, which are very, I think, very important to consider. Hiri is more that internal sense of being able to feel when we've been involved in activity or speech or our intention is somehow off. It's not a it's not creating judgment or guilt, but it's a discernment. It's being able to sense, this is not in tune. Somehow I'm not in tune. And it's considered if we have that capacity, it's, it's healthy. We can feel that somehow I didn't like the flavor or the taste of how I was in that situation. And it's not 
a judgment on the self, but it's a, it's a discernment about the activity. And then being able to feel that is a possibility of adjusting uh, our response, our ethical response in life. And the interesting thing is the more we can trust that capacity, what I've found, the, more that, the less clouded it becomes, the more there's the ability for the heart to really guide and to know the right response in life can listen in and really feel, is it right to act here, is it right to restrain activity, is it right to, what, what's the right response? And every day we're challenged, aren't we, with some situation that demands, how will we be, how, what will we say? And sometimes we get it wrong, you know, and then, and then we feel the effect of that and we allow that to inform us that that was some pain, that was... And, and without creating the sense of I'm wrong or something bad about myself, which is actually an unskillful thing to do, but to reflect, well, maybe there's some adjustment, maybe this can inform me. So this is the activity, what's called hiri, it's that guardian, it's called an internal, that which guards the capacity of the heart, for the heart to dwell in its own clarity, its own purity. When that becomes clouded, it's more more difficult to really settle in a meditative space, because there's more complication, more reactivity. This is why the seed is considered a foundation. And the otapa, the other aspect of this sense of that which guards the heart or the mind, is that effect in the world. It's about what creates wholesome community. It's about the sense of knowing if I act in a certain way, or my selfish impulse, it might, I might be gratified, but it maybe has a negative effect. So it's taking into account we're relational, interconnected beings, and therefore there's some greater responsibility in my reaction, in my activity. And when, when beings start to reflect in them that way, it, it builds an external trust. We can begin to create a field, a holding space that one can trust. Of course, when those guardians are diminished, either inter- internally, then there's often sort of in, some sort of internal breakdown, or externally, then there's, in the society, then there's a more destructive tendencies start to emerge. So these, this is why they're called the guardians, that which guards the heart, guards the community. They're very, very important principles to honour and to recognise that this quality, this capacity for the heart's ability to generate a field which we can, can trust and we can, we can relax into. And this becomes important when we start to, to meditate or start to approach the middle aspect of the path, which is called samadhi, or this activity of meditation or gatheredness. Because if we don't know what we're letting go into, if the heart has become very defended, um, very dislocated from the field around it, if we can't trust, then it's very hard to really let go. We just just get a bit paranoid, or we get um, anxious, fearful... But if we can, if we sense that we can trust our own heart's capacity for discernment, for well-being, then there's the ability to just trust that. And like in Gaia House in this retreat, where we we can, the people that we're with here, holding a a certain framework of of uh, integrity, we can trust that. 
hopefully. We can trust that together and it allows us to just relax. We don't have to keep defending ourselves against some possible invasion of our space. So these are, these are more, in some ways, obvious things, but also subtle things. And, and you know, this is why this part of the path, it's not just about being mor- moralistic, because often morals have been taught through fear or intimidation, but it's more about evoking an internal capacity for ethical response that generates the heart's ability to rest and trust and this is why I consider the foundation, because then when we start to gather, the mind's energy starts to gather. Uh, in this practice of samasamari, of meditation, we can have a base within which the mind has a base, within, within which, that's the external, in a way, seal is the external, though it's based in the mind <coughs> container, but the more immediate container is the mindfulness. So whatever emerges, if it's very difficult, feelings, Fear, chaos, anger, aversion, destructive feeling, rage, and some of the things that, that do emerge as we start to open. And that which has been unconscious, the, the patterns, the tendencies that we haven't really investigated or haven't illuminated with our awareness as they start to manifest. If we don't have the capacity to contain with mindfulness, with our innate sense of sealer of the heart, trust the ability to trust that we can contain, then then it tends to set up patterns of reactivity. Either our movement is either to try and push away those energies, suppress them, or we get shaped by them. We don't know what to do, become overwhelmed. So these, I'm just naming on the map some of these structures that help give a sense of containment or, or for, the, for the, this practice of samadhi or gathering of meditation, that which guards, that which discerns, that which contains, that which holds the energy of the mind, which can be anything that can come up. As we start to open out of our control mechanisms, control mechanisms through distracting ourselves or through um, disassociating from what's here or through um, absorbing into something else. All of those mechanisms that we can usually operate under, we start to relax out of those. We don't really have an opportunity to engage some of those and then we start to feel the mind's energy a bit more undiluted, a bit more undispersed. And that can also be peaceful, can also be uh, calm, can also be peaceful, it can be turbulent, can be changeable. Often when, <clears throat> when we do a retreat, what people, what we feel, all of us feel, what we get attracted to is this taste of samadhi. I use that word samadhi, it's a Pali word, but it means the heart when it's gathered, the mind when it's gathered, taste of something contained, peaceful, the feeling of just being able to put down the world. Um, And often when we leave a retreat, that's when when we get more dispersed, we feel we've lost 
we, you know, we've lost our practice or we've lost it. Often what we're talking about is that loss of that sense of gatheredness, that loss of that feeling of samadhi. So it's, this is a, a very, this middle part of path activity, samasamadhi, is, is a very uh, powerful and important activity to consider. What's it based upon? How can we cultivate it? How can we recognize it? How can we recognize the loss of that gatheredness? When the heart is ungathered, then usually we're more in a reactive phase. We, we feel very irritated by sensory contact. We can feel very overwhelmed by the internal material that can come up, memories, storylines, emotions. We can feel like we're constantly scanning the world for some contact, some acknowledgement, some hit of some sort, some experience. We often can feel very uh, restless, minds restless, agitated. And we're often dominated by issues of self. how, How am I doing comparing ourselves? Where am I going? What do I need? My ambitions, my losses. The mind is, in a way, galvanized around that dynamic. And there's a sense of lessening or loss of innate well-being. Our well-being more and more depends on um, some experience that needs to come from an external source, which has its place. But there's also the capacity in this, this middle part of the, the path activity, samasamadhi, there's the possibility of knowing that, it's, that there's an, a, a skill in cultivating an inner source of well-being that's not dependent upon external stimulus or sensory experience. That the mind's own capacity for gatheredness is in a way the most delightful taste. <laughs> more delightful than sensory experience. So when there is a, a sense of gatheredness, and then often when the, the heart, the mind is gathered, there's a feeling of fullness, a feeling of being very immediate, a feeling of being very rooted here and now in presence, a feeling of sometimes timelessness. Time can get very strange and retreats, if you've noticed. Sometimes you don't know quite what day it is or what time it is. This is a feeling in a way that as we individually and almost as a group we sort of shift into that space of consciousness. Can get very lucid, the sensory experience can get very uh, fine, heightened, not so jaded. Mind's activity can become very lucid, intuitive. And upon that, upon the gathered, when the mind isn't dispersed, when the mind collects, the jitta, the heart's energy, the mind's energy is gathered within body, within the energetics of the body can feel more fluid, more fine, even if there's pain or constriction, it can still be flow. Upon that base, the mind becomes more gathered, more present, not really scanning into the future, wrapped around some past worry or constriction. Upon that, 
then panya, the, the third aspect of the path is placed, the, the ability to see clearly. By its own capacity to be gathered, the mind starts to see the nature of reality, the nature of impermanence, the nature of emptiness, emptiness of phenomena. But not jumping ahead of ourselves on this part of the retreat, just really looking at how, how does this, is this Samasamadhi, is that something we have to go and do? <laughs> how, or is it something that moments of path activity, we can allow that? Because in a way, Samadhi is like a fruit. It's not really something we do, it's something that starts to appear, like a fruit that starts to gather, based upon moments of path activity. Samasamadhi is based upon, well, different elements, but one element that we've been exploring today, which is this capacity for moments of sati or mindfulness, attentiveness. The original, one of the, the Sanskrit word for mindfulness, shmirti, means to, re, to regather or remember. And it implies that it's not that we have to, it's, it implies almost like a dismemberment. There's parts of us scattered all over the place. And, and contrary to that, just by this activity of being attentive, being present, it allows those parts of us, the energy of the mind, the energy of the body, energy of the emotions, to begin to gather. So it's this sense of that which has been split starts to focalize and come together. Just in the simple activity of moments of presence, moments of how is it now, being present moment attention, which is based upon an ability to to have a balance of effort or energy, balanced effort. If our, if, our, if our mindfulness is based upon, our attention is based on a lot of striving, our meditation, sometimes we bring into our meditation our habits, don't we, the habits we have in our daily life. Um, and that gets revealed. So if we, if we have... Um, the way that we, our energy is used, often our, uh, I, f- I find that it's sometimes very hard to feel what is your natural energy when it's not caffeinated, when it's not driven by compulsion, to meet the demands of life, when it's not crashed out. What is, what is our natural energy? And in some ways a retreat's a good place to explore that because often what we feel when we come in is our energy's a bit all over the place. We feel exhausted or we feel hyper but gradually we can maybe just start to, as things start to even out and calm down, we feel, well, a sense of our energy body in its natural state. And this balance, as I was saying this morning, between an, an effort or an energy that, that can support the mindfulness, that can bring attention. It's not a huge energy, it's not a, an Olympic act of will, it's just a subtle movement to, into being present, a commitment, if you like to being present. We're very uncommitted, aren't we, to being present. We're committed to our to our fantasies, to our, our memories, to our storylines, to the thing that we're agitated about. So it's, it's in a way I see that right effort or that quality of effort. It's, it's, a, it's a movement between 
overly extending, overly ambitious into where I feel I need to get to in my meditation. It's, it's, it's moving back from that A and just adjusting it back to can I, can I be here? And a, and a movement away from that sense of collapse or sense of just wandering or drifting away with, a, with this view of being a bit more committed committing ourselves to can I really be present with how it is that's, that's in a way a moment of path activity and it's upon moments like that very clear intentionality to be present just, and it doesn't take a huge effort just even if it's not easy to be with what we're with but moments upon that that begins to generate this capacity for samasamadhi, for gatheredness so the Buddha made an analogy, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard of in the story of, of the lutes, which I find is a very good story to reflect on, where he had a disciple that um, came from a very um, aristocratic background, so he was very delicate, and but very inspired, and wanted to practice, but he used so much effort that his body began to uh, break up because he was using too much effort. And he got exhausted. And when we often use too much will, we then collapse and we give up, don't we? We just say, well, that didn't work. I'll just give up because we we just haven't got the right... We haven't got an energy or an effort that can sustain. It's just one big movement of will and then collapse, which is, I think, all of us experience sometimes in meditation, make these heroic efforts and then just throw it all out the window because <laughs> we can't sustain that. So, so that, anyway, that, this disciple was a bit like that. I think his name was Sona. And he, he got to the place where he collapsed. And in the suttas it said the Buddha, having psychic powers, tuned into Sona's thought waves and appeared before Sona and said, you know, well, what are you doing? And Sona said, well, you know, this path's just too difficult in this lifetime. I'm going to go back to lay life. I've got lots of money. I'll make lots of donations and make good karma. And in the next life, I'll have a go. See, so that's the way the mind thinks, isn't it? Well, <laughs> so, you know, the Buddha then said, well, what did you do? It's a very skillful way of teaching. He said, what did you do when you were a layman? And he said, well, I was a musician. I loved to play the lute. And he said, well, what happened if the string was too tight? And Sona said, well, you make a horrible sound. You know, kind of sound. And what would happen if the string is too loose? Well, there'd be no music. It would, you know, no, no particular sound. Nothing would happen. So the Buddha said then something like, I can't remember exactly, but then in, in such a way, um, explore adjusting your effort. What is the right tension to make a sound? So in a way, this body-mind that we live with is like our loot in meditation. This is, this is it, you know. And what is the right level of application of path moments, of moments of attentiveness, to make the right sound? Too loose and we just sit here and wander. Too much energy, then we burn out and get impatient, we get tight, we get irritable with the sounds, shuffling. Too loose, we feel very uncommitted and drifting and hope that someone else sorts out our life for us. <laughs> Too difficult. 
So just in this retreat, just exploring, and, and it's not that we're necessarily one or the other. I mean, I find myself going from one extreme to the other. You know, I have moments of huge effort and moments of collapse. So sometimes it's hard to find that middle way, to find a, an effort that's just enough that we can keep through a day, just enough attentiveness. And as I said this morning, sometimes finding that right pitch because we have often in our culture it's a very willful culture it's very based on where we're going what we can create, what we generate Um, our capacity for receptivity our capacity for spaciousness for kindness, for welcoming, for allowing things for effortless effort is distorted, so sometimes a question like how is it can bring us rather than I need to concentrate more A question like how is it can bring us into a little more of that balanced attentiveness here and now. That's that's gentle, that's sweet, that's interested, that's receptive, that's kindly, that's connected. It's not driven. It's not prone to then collapse. So as the the heart, the mind gathers, you may have noticed, we'll begin to notice some of our tendencies. So the the habits, really, it's called the anusaya, the habits, that you know, the habits of the mind, how we how we feel our energy to be, how we feel our being to be. I noticed when I was practicing this afternoon. Sometimes in the mind calm, sometimes it's just very busy, you just have to be very patient and very spacious while things calm down. Other times there can be a lot of um, very difficult. If we, if we haven't really done a lot of internal spring cleaning for a while and we come into a retreat and we sit down, sometimes we can have a lot of strong emotions and feelings and that can happen. But sometimes when the mind's calm and there's a quality of some muscle mind, we can begin to feel into our energetic system a little bit beneath the reactivity of mind and get a sense of be, be, before the words, before the storylines, before the way we describe ourselves to ourselves. We can get sometimes a sense of the, the energy, our underlying energy. And this afternoon I was contemplating that for me, I, I have a lot of uh, ambivalence. It's like a, a sense of doubt, ambivalence, fear, anxiety. Um, and the, the Buddha talked about loosely three different kinds of energies that we can locate. And some of us may have a tendency more towards one or the other. And sometimes it's just useful to reflect on this because this, when we can reflect on what's present for us or what our energetic tendencies are, then we can also adjust our attitude in the meditation, or just our focus, or just our approach. So this delusional type, (laughs) which has this sense of maybe not sure, and I say type because I don't don't think it's that helpful sometimes to categorise ourselves as a type, because I think probably we all have a bit of everything, well I... Maybe that's because I'm delusional. (laughs) For some, it's more clear, but anyhow. If we feel ourselves to be, you know, sort of like not sure, a bit frightened, a bit um, unclear, 
prone to self-judgment, lack of self-worth. It's sort of, in psychological terms, you'd call it a more schizoid type, prone to moving out of our body, disappearing, not really wanting to come into contact, not really wanting to be embodied. Quite a difficult, it's quite a difficult space to negotiate. And if, if that's our tendency, it will come up as we start to be mindful. Whatever is there, we're giving space for it to come up. So the recommendation, if that's, our, if that's what we experience, is to, to apply, to, to learn to apply a bit more focus in the meditation. Because in that type or that tendency, one tends to get washed away and caught up in doubt, anxiety, ambivalence, uncertainty. So to actually come to, say, the breath in the body and just say for five minutes, or even for five breaths, just really steadying attention around the breath and the body, something very concrete, very earth. This can be very, very helpful. Say for five, because sometimes if you have those tendencies, it's very hard to be with the body. So just say, give yourself something, a goal that you can accomplish for five breaths. Okay, three. <laughs> Count them on your finger. Can I be with my inhalation? and my exhalation. So you begin to get a sense of what it's like to have an experience of the mind focus because it's very, very nourishing. When the mind isn't caught into that sort of energy but it begins to feel it's, in a way, you're going beneath the pattern. These are just conditioned patterns. They're not really what we are. They're just things that get conditioned from all sorts of places, all sorts of reasons. But what in the meditation, we're beginning to taste the jitta, the heart, the mind's own basic, luminous wellness. So just to, in the, in the method, you see, the, the, the path activity to taste that, this moments of attentiveness, and to focus, say, for three, five breaths, and to begin to feel what it's like to sense that gatheredness, that focus. And then we lose it, and we get washed away by the pattern, the sankara, and then maybe coming back and trying again. If our tendency may be more, Sabuna called the type that can get very uh, greedy, grasping, we're always, you know, we're very, very concerned about our possessions and we're very attached to things. We, you know, we, we love beautiful sensory experiences. We, we have the nature to, we probably feel quite comfortable maybe in the world, in our body. We might be quite generous. But uh, we're also very dependent in some ways on, on life being good, lovely experience, and uh, you know, a sense of, of needing to grasp. Then the recommendation is to just balance. These are subtle balancing. It's not, and it's not say this is the move we have to make. It's a bit like if you were doing judo, you learn different moves for whatever different things that come to you. So as a balance that, you might just have uh, the contemplation of renunciation, letting go, simplification. Can I be content? Can the contemplation of contentment. Can I be content with one breath? Can I be content with walking in the garden? Can I be content with the beautiful sound of the rain? Or we might notice, these are, these are just ways of speaking that, words are very inadequate in some ways, but say, 
the third tendency that sometimes is talked about that can emerge is the, the tendency towards being averse. Angry, irritable, cramped. Some of us, that's, that's what comes up in contact. And when the mind opens and relaxes, we can feel uh, aversion against ourselves, very judging, always judging ourselves, not doing it right. And then we project that out. Look at that person, who do they think they are? <laughs> Taking too much food, whatever. Is it, is that, you know, it's uncontrollable sometimes, isn't it? That sort of very critical mind state, reverse, hard, usually on ourselves. And so the adjustment there would be just to encourage a sense of kindliness, a sense of allowing. Can I allow? all parts of my being to be as they hear, even those critical voices, even that judging voices. We try to get rid of the judging and we just create more tension, but can I see that and and welcome kindly, kindliness, that hear that voice without becoming the voice, but just hearing it. Can I allow all the people here in this room to be as they are in this moment, however they need to be? And I just this so sense of welcoming, gentleness, spaciousness, allowing. So it's a sort of a, an attitudinal um, adjustment. So in I'm just talking about these sort of different kinds of subtle inner mudras or attitudes in relationship to how we hold the practice of attention. Either to focus a little bit more, either to be more spacious, opening, welcoming, either to allow a sense of simplification, contentment, letting go. And if you have all of those tendencies, (laughs) do them all at once. Let go kindly with focus. <laughs> so in this cultivation uh, that we've been practicing today, of path activity, moments of attention, attentiveness, we're getting a taste in this more controlled environment for this experience of the heart's own capacity for well-being. It's wonderful to realize that we can actually, even if there's pain, even if there's ill health, even if there's struggle, that there can be a, a, a connection and a pathway, even with the most difficult things that we can experience in life, to realize that we have the capacity to hold that from a place of fullness, wellness, just through the simple activity of meeting unconditionally how it is now, meeting the body, the breath, the feeling, the sounds, with this quality of accurate and spacious receptive attention. And as this fruits, this this practice of samadhi, as it fruits and becomes strong in our being, Ultimately, it flowers into 
the uh, unshakable heart of freedom. <clears throat> so when, when the heart's in contact, the fruiting of the samasamadhi is that when the heart is in contact with the winds of the world, the changes of the world, we feel that, but we're unshaken. We might wobble, but we're not completely washed away. So the fruit of this practice is to re- realize and recognize in this, the, the heart's own capacity for unshakability connectedness, attunement, openness, receptivity, and deeply rooted in its own suchness here and now in the present moment. So may we flower into this unshakable jitta, knowing the taste of freedom, the taste of peace here and now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.